Well, this morning, we want to take a little bit of a break from our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, actually, it was last Easter that we began this journey through Acts, kind of a, as a follow-up to the Easter story. Uh, Acts is, is the record of everything that happened because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, uh, Easter Sunday really is the, the culmination of everything that Christ came to earth to accomplish. Uh, his victory over sin and death made it possible for all of us to have the hope of eternal life with God as God intended it. Abundant, full life with him forever. But it all hinges on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of our hope and really everything we believe in as Christians uh, hinges on the fact that Jesus really did die and rise again from the grave. Uh, Christ's resurrection is so central to our faith because, well, in fact, if it didn't happen, then our, our Christianity is, is really nothing more than a, a hoax, and, and it's useless, it's futile. Uh, Paul even says uh, something along those lines in uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. He writes, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of all, all your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So this morning we celebrate Easter because our faith is not a hoax. It's not useless. Jesus Christ really did die on that cross. And he really did rise again uh, to life from the grave. Uh, and so this morning, because our faith is based on the historical events that actually happened some 2,000 years ago, I actually want to read the historical account for you. I, I want to read the entire Easter story right from the pages of the Bible. Uh, so today's sermon is actually not going to sound very much like a typical sermon, uh, because really we're just going to be reading through the Bible. Uh, I mean, preaching, by definition, is just proclaiming God's Word, and so that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. And this has become a little bit of an Easter tradition. Uh, if you've never been at our church at Easter before, this might seem a little bit unusual, uh, I suppose. Uh, but I think it's great sometimes just to let the Bible speak for itself. You know, typically we go through these chapters and verses little bits at a time, you know, a little bit in this sermon, a little bit in this sermon. Uh, but it, every once in a while, it's good just to, to get the whole picture and, and kind of see things from a different perspective. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 26, uh, about the time that Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. And then we're going to keep right on reading right to the end of, of Matthew chapter 27 to give us the story of Jesus' arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. Uh, and then I'm going to flip over to Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 24, to read about his resurrection, his appearance to the disciples, and then finally his ascension into heaven. Uh, it's quite a few verses altogether. It's about 170 by my count, so I'm not going to have Brian put all these verses up on the PowerPoint for you. But if you do want to follow along in your own Bibles, you're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, I'll be reading through in the, the New Living Translation this morning, just if, uh, in case yours is a little bit different, but that's fine. Uh, you can follow along if you like. Or if you just want to sit back and listen and just take it all in, I would certainly encourage that as well. And I trust that as these scriptures are read this morning, that our faith will be just reaffirmed and strengthened, and that God will be glorified as we remember and celebrate everything that Christ did to secure our victory over sin and death. So let's pause here and pray and just ask God to, to speak to us through his word this morning, and that he'd be glorified as we read his word together. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Uh, we thank you that we can stop and, and remember all the things that you did for us. 
out of your great love for us. We thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live that sinless life and to die on the cross, taking the, the punishment for all of our sins and then rising again from the grave, conquering death so that we can share in that same victory. God, we just thank you so much for your incredible love for us. And as we read through the, the historical accounts recorded for us in your word, I pray that you would speak through those things that you'd speak to each one here, that you would encourage and strengthen our faith in you, and just uh, remind us all over again just how great your love for each one of us is. So we thank you, and we pray that you'd be blessed and honored in this time as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I am starting in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible... Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as he said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, 
How would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, You have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy! Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, Prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who hit you that time? Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then, Jesus th or then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priests picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field, and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That's why the field is still called the field of blood. This fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says, They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel, and purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. 
Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Peter, Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, from, or who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head. Announcing the charge against him, it read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So, he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, 
Wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the Son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to, uh, to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. And we'll flip over to Luke chapter 24 now. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. 
Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and when they came back with an or then they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the other, or there they found the 11 disciples with the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And then they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law and the uh, law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple, praising God. And that's what really happened some 2,000 years ago. Those are, are the events that our faith is founded you know, over the past year, we've been reading through the, the book of Acts, and it's just been incredible to see how, because of these events, the lives of those disciples were never the same again. You know, because of what they had seen and heard and experienced, they, they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming these very events to anyone who would listen. Their, their lives were never the same again. And I truly hope that the same could be said of you as well. You know, those events are, are why we celebrate Easter every year, why we celebrate you know, Easter every Sunday. We come and we celebrate the fact that our Savior not only died for our sins, but he is risen to life again. He is alive today. Uh, John 3.16, a verse you're probably familiar with, says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know, because of what Jesus did, none of us have to fear death. If we believe in him, as Mike was explaining to the kids, if we put our trust in Jesus, who he said he is and what he said he can do for us, God tells us that we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. And that is reason to celebrate. That's reason to share this good news with everyone that we possibly can. I think sometimes for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, we forget how good this good news is. You know, our God has beaten death, and he's given us the promise that we can share in that same victory if we simply trust in him. You know, how could we not share this with our friends and our family and our neighbors? You know, it's, it's incredible for us to even think about. And, and so I hope that this morning, as we've just read through the Easter story this morning, that you've been reminded all over again of how much Christ loves you. Uh, I hope that you've been reminded all over again of the joy and the hope that you can have through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I hope that you're, you're spurred on and driven to share this with the people in your life. You know, I know many of you will be heading off to, to do events with family yet today. Take the opportunity. If they've never heard, take the opportunity to share with them what Christ has done for you and for them as well. 